Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. I'm Ross Carl. After a weekend where Super Rugby was saved. All of the games went down to the wire. It was close. It was great. The Aussie teams won. Everything happened. And we've got a lot to talk about because of it. Joining me as ever in the studio, James Parsons. And over in Australia, Perth, I believe, Bryn Hall, who's uh, recovering from, I'm sure, a very interesting session with the rest of the team. We'll get into that very, very soon after the loss on the weekend. But let's start with our quick fire round. Match of the round. Start off with Jipper. Let's go with you. Um, I'll go... Crusaders Tars, just because of the unexpected nature. Sorry, Bryn. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, no, I'm taking that back. How could I go past Fiji and Drua and the Highlands? That yeah. atmosphere looked outstanding. It, it looked great. And some of the tries were incredible. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely Safe. incredible. Um, Bryn, what about you? Yeah, I was actually going to go for the... Uh, for the uh, for the Fijian Drua and the Highlanders, yeah, we watched a little bit of that, um, obviously that kind of stuff, but yeah, what an occasion, and I've played there a couple of times, and um, it's a very hostile environment, I wasn't very surprised at all seeing that um, that scorecard on the weekend, and the Highlanders just sneaking through um, in a pretty awesome encounter between the two teams. Player of the round, from that game? No, no. Rob Valentini. Oh, the chip and chase. Wow. <laughs> He's just been in some great form for a long time now, and... and not just the chip and chase, his physical nature, his, his work rate, um, you know, around the field, but also in, in, in his set pieces. You know, it's, um, yeah, I, I just think he was the complete package. He was, he was awesome. And the chip and chase was just phenomenal. Phenomenal vision and then, and then the toe. Mm, and for a big guy. Yeah. Like, he's not small. No, he's, he's, he's definitely uh, a big lad, big number six, and, and he makes his presence felt, but he's got some toe too. You agree with Bobby V? Oh, I think he's right up there, and he probably, I do agree with Jip, um, the ability to be able to score that try, um, he was right there for me. But then I also want to do a mention to, to Newsom, um, obviously from the Waratahs. Look, I think his player of the day in the Waratahs sitting in the stands, and um, you could tell the crowd was, was into it when he got a standing ovation walking off because I thought his involvements in the game um, were really beneficial for that Waratahs team even to get on the front football. And so, um, yeah, Newsom would probably be a, a notable mention, but I, I, I agree with Jip in his, um, in his person as well. The Aussie players looking good. Team that improved the most? Have to be the Tars, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, especially if you look at the bigger picture as far as what they did last year and what they're doing this year. Yeah, like I, I, like Brendan and I have both sort of spoken their squad up all year um, and they've probably yeah. struggled to get that team or that consistency of selection on the field. But, um, you know, it all came to fruition um, the other night, especially in that first 40, um, and then they just held on for dear life just to, just to clinch it. Same for you, Bryn? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I think, um, you know, they probably lost to the Reds, sorry, yeah, to the Reds and the Brumbies um, in the kind of trans-Tasman when they were playing in, the, in those games. And um, look, to be able to pick up a win against us, look, I thought um, the way they were physical, um, they pro pretty much dominated the collision area, which was probably a massive um, work on for us in our review. And so they were able to do that really well in the first half. Got off to a lightning start uh, just due to the fact of playing on top of us and with our lightning quick ball. And, um, you know, even though we did get a chance to try and win that game at the back end of the game, um, they did enough in that first half to, to hold on and, and grab a really great win at a, at a great occasion, actually, at Leichhardt over with um, some really great fans in, in that game as well. Well, let's talk a bit more about Leichhardt a little bit later because I thought that was quite cool. But the team for you that regressed the most, Bryn? Oh, well, it's got to be us, I think, um, if we're being honest. I think, uh, yeah, we're pretty disappointed with, with, how our, with how our game was. And um, look, you're going to lose games in the competition, but I think for us, it was more so just our intent and our mindset. Uh, we didn't get that right in the first 40, and um, the collision area that I, that, I that I touched on earlier um, was a real massive um, kick in the guts for us where we didn't get that right. And so you probably look at us. We haven't started well. The last six games, we haven't been able to start games well, and so... Um, it'll be probably um, a massive improvement that we're going to need on in the rest of this competition because uh, we can't afford to give you know teams like the Waratahs or any teams in general those kind of head starts and, and trying to um, try to win games at the back end of the game. Jeff, if you agree, do you want to elaborate on why you agree? Well, uh, look, I think just the standards are set and the expectation is they win every game. It's a little bit like the All Blacks, you know, like the, there is just oh yeah, that's another game Crusaders will pick up, and, and when they lose, you almost um, have to you know sit up and and work out why and. The, the other factor in that is they're always the hunted. You know, they're the team with so much of a rich history of success that every team that comes up against them will bring their A game. Um, and as Bryn alluded to, if they're a little bit off um, in their preparation and uh, maybe a few selection changes, that, that it costs them in them. But let's not forget they were right in it and probably could have stolen it. Similar against the Blues, you know, they could have stolen that game. So they're not far off. Um, and, and no doubt I think we'll see a lot more consistent at the selection of the 23 and they'll still be a threat and a force in that finals, don't worry about that. So I take it as, as a brutal conversation today as you debriefed that game. Yeah, it was, mate, and I think it, it's fair. Um, you know, Joe, I think it's pretty fair a lot of those points you bring up and, uh, you know, for us, um, our standard is, um, you know, being a Crusader standard and unfortunately we're probably just not living up to that at the moment and um, you know teams are playing against us and getting really good head starts which is probably uh, putting us under a lot of pressure but um, the greatest thing is that you know we're, we're able to we're able to control it um, there's a few things that um, you can control by yourself and um, yes you do your review and your preview of teams but um, I think internally there's a lot of stuff that we're able to work on that we can fix uh, that we can fix on the run and, and knowing how difficult it is at Perth um, it's a different place and um, traditionally the Perth have been a, a bit of a bogey team for us in our in our, in our history and so um, we're looking forward to the challenge of, of getting over to, uh, to Perth to be able to rectify a lot of things that we haven't done, just against, not just against the Waratahs, but probably the last uh, four or five weeks in, in the competition. When you're starting slowly, you've got a collective switch off, I suppose. You're not all focused the way you need to be, but it's each individual's job to make sure that they're switched on to their role, right? So how easy a job is it to make sure that the whistle goes, the ball gets kicked, and you guys are in the mindset that you need to be? Um, 
I think, yeah, it's internally, it's internally Ross, but um, I think the expectation is when we are playing teams, um, you know, their intention is to start with a hiss and a roar. And so, you know, the first 20, 30 minutes, um, they're throwing everything at us and probably us, we, you know, we've been smacked on the nose a little bit and haven't been able to um, get the kind of ascendancy and the kind of uh, momentum that we're needing in the first probably 20, 30 minutes. So um, for us, it's been able to identify that. It's been identified uh, more so this week um, due to the fact of, of losing on the weekend. But um, like I said earlier, uh, internally, that can be done with ourselves. And so um, it takes an individual individual responsibility to get your mindset right, get your preparation right. And then, you know, you come out on the weekend and collectively, more importantly, uh, you get the job done with, with what's required. And probably our start, like I said, has been a bit of a weakness for us um, at the last three or four weeks in the game, in the uh, three or four weeks in, in the competition. I just think as well, Bryn, um, sometimes we're so quick and, and obviously for you being in, in the team to look at yourselves and where you're at, but... We do have to acknowledge the extra edge the Waratahs brought. I don't think we've seen that performance or that level of intensity this season from them. So, um, you know, sometimes you can only, you know, it's not that the Crusaders weren't, you know, ready at kickoff for it. It's just the Waratahs were at another level, especially for that first, you know, sort of 20, 25 minutes. Um, and as I've said, the, the way they fought back is just typical of the Crusaders' never-die attitude, but... Um, you know, it, it is the importance that we do acknowledge the Waratahs' effort on the night, especially in those collision areas, which we wax lyrical about the Aussie sides the week before, and, and mm. you know that Dave Rennie factor f um, filtering down. You, you're going to see more and more of that um, combative nature from these teams moving forward into the, uh, into the latter rounds, but also in the finals. Let's talk about that collision area for a second, because there was another card for you guys, Dalzell with the head clash. Now, back in the day, a head clash would have just been, oh, both guys are at fault and let's move on. These days, a head clash is very much on the technique of the tackler. Um, in this particular case, um, he looked like he was rocked as much as yeah. anybody. Um, but um, what does it say about the way that you've got to change the approach to tackling, Bryn, um, with that ruling? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, probably early on, early doors with these kind of red card rules and the kind of um, suspensions that you're going to get for them. The tackler, the first tackler, was probably the main focal point in being able to address that and get that right. You know, your body height as the first tackler usually um, is doing pretty well to get that right. It's more so now it's the assisting tackler because, um, Jip, as you know, the contact area is really important, being able to get double shoulders and to be able to hold on to that ball, whether that's, you know, a stack tackle or a dominant ball, a dominant tackle, taking someone back to slow down the ball. It's a really important part of a, of a two-man tackle. And, you know, you probably think at, at the moment, a lot of teams, not just us, but um, teams in general are getting that wrong with the assist tackler. So um, I think at the start, you know, your chop tackle and getting your height selection right is the first person that's going to tackle. Um, there's a lot of work on that. Um, but then it's more so important as well, the second arriving tackler for that double shoulder, you've got to be able to then again get that tackle technique right and get your height right because um, I feel that's where probably the most of the red card and yellow cards are happening just due to the fact of the tackle entry of the second person coming in for that contact area. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it, when the, the ball carrier takes a little outward step and goes into the channel of another mm. defender and the defender that was on him goes low and that, that defender's still looking here as in you're the defender and then he then is like, oh, he's tucked now, so I'm going into tackle to wrap the ball up or, or hit underneath. And it's quite a fine margin between making that decision and, and yeah. the dip's the key, is, is that speed of dip. And, and it's no... Um, I know uh, no fault of the taller players, but that's always the biggest struggle is, is getting that dip down low enough in time. And it was almost when Dalzell came through, 
um, he was just looking to get around the corner, you know, and that the tackle probably wasn't as accurate as I like. And he he wanted to pull out, but it almost made it worse because he went head on head, similar to what Banks did mm. against Pulu a few weeks ago. But um, as we know, like as soon as it's head on head these days, uh, they'll, they'll no like no doubt be marched. It seems a little unfortunate for the second person because I mean, just the idea of a chop tackle, the name of a chop tackle suggests that you're chopping a guy down to the ground. So the second person already is at a disadvantage because the previous kind of tackle is putting them in a position where they're at risk. Yeah, but you train it. Um, you, you do a number of reps during the week, so it's not an uncommon skill. It's just, you know, probably more so when guys are fatiguing that the decision making isn't as sharp. Mm. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves over I think the next few weeks. Sorry. Carry on, Bryn. Yeah, sorry, just to, just to finish off on that, I think, yeah, it's just, it's really important for that first tackler to get that job done really right because mm. as an assist tackler, um, there's a bit of movement that can happen, you know, if it's an outward carry, you know, and that chop tackler isn't right, then they can get through that contact and you've got to go high because that first tackler hasn't done it right. So I think just collectively, you're right, Jip, it has been, you know, we talk about it a lot at training, you get the reps that you need to, um, but again, it's just been able to get it right and execute when you're in that game because, look, You've seen a lot more collisions around that second tackle and arriving tackler to try and get that double shot, and they're getting it wrong. So, um, you know, hopefully we can rectify that and get those things done because, look, um, I think at the back end of the season, red cards and getting, you know, those kind of 20 minutes with spent being with 14 people, um, it's going to end up costing you at the back end of the competition for sure. Now, of course, they got a win. Um, so did the Brumbies. And that's two wins for Australian teams on the weekend, which is, you know, a big thing. It hasn't happened since 2014. So for that... Let's also think, and, and I am a little bit worried about overreacting to this because, you know, I think what happens to hap- what tends to happen is we react each week to the talking point without looking necessarily at the trend over a long period of time. When I say we, I mean the media, not necessarily the show. Um, is it too soon, Jipper, to really say this competition is where it needs to be, even though all of the games on the weekend were close? Well, I certainly don't think anyone would be saying it's where it needs to be, but it's definitely trending in the right direction. Um, the excitement of the games, you know, Rebels also got a result against uh, Moana Pacifica, so, and, and that, they, well, it was a hard-fought win, you know, um, Moana Pacifica had a lot of ball and they had to make a lot of tackles and, and they got the result done. And you, I think what we're seeing is not looking at it as where the competition needs to be, but there's a real resilience and fight um, in these Aussie mm. Aussie teams to to want to make a statement, they're, they're hungry, and, and they're and they're ready to sort of you know prove people wrong, which I think is exciting, and also I think I don't know, Bryn, you mentioned it last week, but the the error counts um, for the for the New Zealand teams are quite high at the moment, so they're not quite mm. firing in ter- terms of that skill execution. So the real yeah. test will be when they do get that skill execution right, can the defences um, hold up because there's a lot less missed tackles. Um, a lot less points scored um, this season compared to Trans-Tasman last year. But there's two sides of the coin. There's definitely been an improve in the Aussie sides, but I think we've, where the New Zealand sides are probably looking at themselves when they're reviewing is, is probably around that you know, turnovers conceded and, and penalties. And, and that's what's um, you know, yeah. giving teams the opportunities to, to be better. Yeah, just on that. Just on that, Jip, like, I completely agree. You look at us, you know, we had 24 unforced errors in that game. And so um, it's been able to adapt to the Australian style. Like probably last year, if I'm talking around on the defensive side of the ball, um, they, were, they were a lot more passive and being able to let you play on top of things. And the, probably the decision-making under pressure wasn't as much as you would have in a derby game in New Zealand defence systems. But um, this year, I look at the Waratahs and the, first and foremost, the collision area. The Australian teams are a lot better being able to dominate 
in the contact area and been able to slow down that ball. And then secondly, at the moment, a lot of these Australian teams are bringing in a bit more line speed pressure on the edge, but then being able to then hold off and being able to connect so they're not making bad decisions defensively. So I think their def- defensive system is coming back probably from last year. The New Zealand play the New Zealand teams play a little bit more. They're probably seeing that and saying, look, we can't afford to give them that time and space. And so, you know, for us in the Waratahs and even the Rebels, in that first half we played them, um, the ability that they're having um, that full line engagement and putting line speed, a little bit more line speed pressure on on the edge and just in general um, has been a little bit more different than we have been accustomed to seeing like we did last year. So, but yeah, I think just being able to play the last couple of games against these Australian teams, um, the grit and the fight that the teams are showing compared to last year is just way more different. Um, the ability of them staying longer and harder in games for more so like the high phase counts or if they don't have momentum pressure, they're not giving they're not giving those easy tries where they probably probably did last year. And so, whether that's a combination of the Aussies uh, and Dave Rennie, the Dave Rennie factor, and being able to get those conversations in to those Super Rugby franchises, because um, for us, for me personally, there's been a massive shift um, with these Australian teams um, compared to last year. The real test of this will one be when they have to come over to New Zealand, and three of them um, will be this weekend so to see whether or not they can do it here too but also in the long term right as you get towards the end of the season and injuries pile up the depth of squad will also be an interesting testing point for these Aussie teams. Yeah absolutely and I think that travel one will be big in terms of you know the latter part can they um, can another Aussie team accrue enough points to slip into maybe those home quarters home semi sort of point of view and and I suppose the big test that we're looking at this weekend is, is can the Brumbies replicate um, in Hamilton. I mean, I know that's the one I've certainly circled to run my eyes over and um, it, it will certainly be an exciting matchup. That does look like the match of the weekend, doesn't it? Well, it's just the the expectation of the Brumbies is, is so high now, in particular. And, yeah. and I don't know if um, you saw it, Brim, but man, their execution of their kicking game was a big factor. Like, we talk about these collision areas mm. and all that, but th- their kicking game, in terms of their contestables and and forcing errors by the Canes was spot on, and that was that was a big point of difference I felt in terms of winning that territory and possession battle and, and getting themselves in a position where they could score points. Brent, I feel like the draw has done the Brumbies some good favours in that they got to start at home and they got to start at home against the Highlanders and the Hurricanes, the two of the weak New Zealand sides, to really get themselves into the feel of this before heading to New Zealand and taking on the big dogs. I guess you can look at it like that, but for me personally, I probably see the kind of traits of how they've been successful, not only against the Trans-Tasman teams, but against the New Zealand teams. And, you know, their biggest strength is, Jip alluded to it, is their kicking game with Nick White and his ability mm. to be able to put those contestables on the money. You've got Noah Lollisea that can be able to, if they want to go to that contestable game as well. And then also the long kicking game of the of their outsides as well, which has been great. But I think the biggest thing for the Brumbies, and I've talked about it a lot, is around their set piece and their dominance of their forwards. Now, I think coming into these later later stages of, of this competition, you know, playing in ACT Brumbies where, you know, it gets cold, it gets cool, and, you know, you're going to come into New Zealand conditions, you know, not only for the next three or four weeks, but, you know, those finals games where it might be a little bit wet and dewy, the Brumbies have that ability to be able to go to both games with help with their squad that they have. And so the, the, the kind of... Um, the physical nature that their full pack are operating at the moment with their line out more and their ability to strike off that line out more with the kind of shape that I've talked about playing off 12. Um, they're in a really good spot and I think it's going to it's gonna catapult them for a really good uh, probably fortnight um, against these New Zealand teams knowing that they've got the confidence of a couple of wins. But I like how they're playing and they've got the ability to go both ways with their full pack and the ability to be able to run and kick as well. I think with Nick White as well, like when, he's, when they're winning collisions that forward pack, brings his running game into play and he made a few snipes yeah. and, and he's almost 
he's almost like the playmaker off the back of rucks a lot of the time, as well as the promoted 12 off lineouts. So I, I think it's just a different, it is a different style to defend. It's, you know, a lot of our stuff comes um, off our first receivers um, and or off a pod off nine. It's not as much of that running style, whereas he can sort of swoop both blind and, and open, which we've seen him do for the Wallabies, but he's also showed probably his best performance of the year on the weekend. On the flip side of that game, the Brubbies 42, Hurricanes 25, at a Hurricanes team that just looked a little bit off the pace in comparison to quite a good Brubbies team that was executing. Well, they were in the fight, though. Like, the Canes were there or thereabouts. Mm. It only just sort of fell away towards the end, and, and that was through, again, what I was talking before, more about what they can control and that skill set execution around those high kicks, giving them opportunities, and then that discipline. Um, so I, I don't think it's as bad as it, that, that score reflects. Like watching that game, um, you know, it was two sides going at it, um, and, and I think right. maybe the impact um, that the Brumbies got off the bench really brought them home, especially in and around those sort of when they kick to the corner, they're doing them all, sucking the defence in, and then making the right decisions. A lot of their reserve players yeah. were, were, were doing that. Mm. When a team isn't getting the wins like that, often the chat is about the person who's running the show at number 10. Um, Jackson Garden Bashup's obviously the most experienced 10, and he's been given the job, Bryn, to run this side. But we've seen moments from Aidan Morgan and Ruben Love to suggest that they've got potential there. Are the Hurricanes going the right way right now with their starting 10? Oh, I guess that's probably where we need to ask the coaches around what their thinking is. But I think, um, you know, as an inside back in these kind of games, and if you're wanting, you're wanting to win games, you know, it, it does help to have, have an experienced 10. And look, Jackson's played a lot of games, whether it be at Bunnings NPC, um, he's a new, former New Zealand Māori All Black, um, and he's played in that position for that team for, for a long time with Bodie um, leaving since he's left. But um, it's just, I guess, cohesion and being able to have someone that you can trust and be able to build those combinations with because like, they've got a, a great midfield pairing with whatever way they do go with probably the, with how Balan Sullivan's going and then you've got some great outside backs as well so I think it's more so the importance of the people around them um, and putting them in spots where they can where they can flourish and you know if you decide to go with Aidan Morgan or Ruben Love at 10 it's important then that the, the midfielders or your wingers are giving those communication skills in to your inside backs to be able to then um, execute and I guess manage your game because um, as a ten, it doesn't all fall on the responsibility of you. It's you know it's depending on your forward pack and being able to get your front foot ball and winning collisions, being able to give you a quick ball. But then you've also got to have the com- the the conversations and the action words that are coming into you to be able to then run it, run the team and put your your, your I guess your players in the right spot of where you need them in game scenarios. I think he was a big part of getting that result against the Reds, and I think it's t- it's a too easy a swipe. Um, to, to look at him as, as the issue for the weekend. Um, and, and I'd say that's probably a big reason why he got promoted is the way he controlled things to get them back in mm. and get that result against the Reds in, in Melbourne. You know, some of his deft touches that set up tries for the likes of Balan Sullivan and co were due to him executing his skill set under pressure. So I think it's too soon to have that conversation. And I think the experience thing's a big thing because the pressure is coming on. And if you've got someone in that mm. seat that isn't experienced and, and maybe not so accustomed to, to the spotlight in a negative way, you know, it's almost a sacrificial act as well a little bit to protect those younger guys to, till they're ready to you know, experience and see and how to react off that. The other New Zealand teams, the Chiefs and the Highlanders, they pulled through when it was when it was getting tough. The Chiefs against the Reds, who seemed to be there or thereabouts. Yeah, they just wouldn't go away. But I think for the most part, the Chiefs 
had that covered, maybe not towards the end, but outside of that, I, you, you, they had that sort of set-piece dominance, and I think um, Tupo going off early was probably a big loss um, for the Reds, so, mm. and, and, you know, Aidan Ross and Samasoni and, and Gus went to work there, and, and they got some real ascendancy, um, sack, sucked the petrol of the tank, but they, they won't be happy with, um, you know, not finishing that off and, and potentially letting the Reds in with a sniff, but they got the result, and Bryn, you, you'll know this as much as I do. Playing the Reds in Brisbane is tough. Mm. It is seriously yep. tough. Like, it's not an easy place to go and win. Um, you know, their fans are right into you. They lift an arm and a leg playing at Suncorp. And so to get out of there 27, 25, I think you could see the elation on the Chiefs pack uh, once, it, once it went yep. over the sideline. And so do yeah. you think the Reds can get it? You know, oh, I think they can. It's just... Um, I think Tupa was a was a big was a big loss for them. I think you know I agree with Jip. You know the set piece dominance that the the Chiefs were able to I guess build pressure and take away the momentum that the Reds had um, probably was was probably a, a massive reason why the why the Chiefs won. And and to be honest, it's probably very um, similar to most teams this week. Um, you know, close wins and being able to win ugly just to get the job mm. done to bank four points in this competition. Um, is is probably just w- what you need. You'd rather win ugly than lose, um, you know, with a great result. So, um, you know, the Chiefs. You look at the Blues as well. Um, look, they you know had to defend twenty six phases to get that win in the force. You know, you're probably thinking at half time that you know, you know that game's done and dusted, but it shows the resilience that we keep talking about, the grit and the ability to stay in it um, with these Australian teams this year. And um, the Blues will be thinking similarly. Well, thank that points. And the Reds come up against the Landers this week, so they do have another chance if they want to try and get one at home against a Kiwi side. The Landers, though, they probably showed enough in that game that they've got the resilience that maybe it takes in front of a, a big crowd. Big crowd, yeah, and that's an, that's another place that you know the occasion could get the better of you, and um, you know you can be overawed by it. But they fought their way back into it, and it certainly didn't go their way. And they wouldn't have um, mm. come off that field and said they played like they probably planned to. But again, winning ugly is better than losing pretty. Um, but the key person, I think, for that game is if O'Connor goes back to 10. Mm. I do think they're a different team with him at 10, just his experience and his ability to manage a game um, and understand you know, the, the ebbs and flow of it um, will, will be crucial. So if he's back, it does make it a, a harder challenge. But I, I think you know, the one thing about the Landers, they've always got that mindset, you know, um, I suppose a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, backs against the wall, and, and you certainly would never ride off um, with the leaders. And, and, and you know, a couple of their players stood up on the weekend. I thought Mickey Alitu was um, outstanding, and, and a number of their forwards, you know, really rolled their sleeves up to get themselves back into that game. Mm. What about Aaron Smith? Obviously, been at the heart of this team for a long time and its success. Over the last couple of weeks, I think we've seen what is a mixture of his passion for his side with things not necessarily going exactly where he wants to, but also a growing amount of frustration with things that are happening on the field. Uh, he was marched 10 metres for dissent. He obviously made the com- comments a couple of weeks ago about the ref. Um, I, should we be worried about Aaron Smith and, and the composure that he's keeping right now um, and, and the effect that it ha- ha- has on his team? Personally, no, no I, don't, I don't think so. Um, and really the only people that care should be internally with your, with, with your group. You know, if, if anything, you know, he's putting pressure on the powers that be to be able to make decisions that can benefit his team. And so, yes, it's, you know, it's not great to see those things, but, you know, it's probably, it's possibly needed because, you know, the amount of times that he's probably talked around things that haven't gone their way, um, you know, it probably, it's not like Erasmus around what he did around, you know, videoing for an hour, 
but you know, has the conversations where refs have the conversations to be able to, you know, think about things differently when maybe the Highlanders are playing. And so, you know, and also taking pressure off certain other players in the team. You know, he's, he's an experienced enough guy that he's played a, a lot more games that, you know, he probably understands what his preparation is and what he needs to be able to play to succeed in, in a game. So, um, look, I don't think... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's, it's a bad thing. I think it just shows that he, that he cares. He cares about his team. Um, he cares about his, 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 the, the guys that are in there. You know, if anything, um, if I'm a player in that team and I'm seeing him doing that, um, I've definitely got no problems with it. And I'm you know, pretty much going behind him and saying I'm coming with you. And what do you think? Oh, look, I think he's just a competitor, mate, and he's a perfectionist, and he's not getting the the, the, the perfect picture at the moment, and, and sometimes that comes out in frustration, but it's, it's due to the fact he wears his heart on the sleeve for that, that club, and I don't yeah. think it would um, deter his teammates. If anything, it would probably get them up to get him behind him and, and provide yeah. him the ball he's looking for. He loves that team. There's no oh. doubt about that. He loves that team. No doubt. <laughs> and he'd do anything for them. Um, on the other hand, the Drua looked like they were were pretty sharp. Um, Hambolsi on the left wing, I don't know if there's a faster guy out. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's definitely lightning. But the smarts to link up on the inside and then that step from Lomani as well, Like they, they, they were really clinical, um, You know, especially in that first half around how they wanted to play. Um, they took took risks from deep, which we've seen, and they haven't always come off during the year, and probably didn't come off uh, towards the latter part of that game. But you, you've got to, you know, admire them for playing the style that they love and, and the style that they want to play. And it, and, it, and it came off early, and you were starting to think, man, this mm. is the crowd was going, and it was a hell of an atmosphere. Um, that's why I think it was all the more important to acknowledge the way uh, the Highlanders gripped back in there, because that was a, it was a great performance. And talk about collisions. Um, Fiji and Pack are just, you know, led by their skipper, just look to dominate those collisions. So do their midfielders. But their ability to break tackles, if, if you see that try from Lamani, you, you watch Revolvo steps in he's, and he commits those two defenders while still getting that ball away. Um, he, he's played a massive part in a lot of their success this year, Revolvo. So I think he's, he's a key cog for them moving forward and, and probably a key cog for teams to identify to shut down. And if you can shut down and secure that ball, then it, and it can it can cut down their opportunities um, for scoring those points. Uh, Bryn, before we let you go to head off to your next training, what did you make of it? No, I think man, what, what an occasion! I think it, it shows more, um, get more, you know, having more games in Fiji because like, the, the amount of times that I've been there, um, how passionate they are, and what they can bring to that, you know, to their teams. You know, 
it wasn't a Fijian team when we played there. It was two New Zealand teams, but you know the kind of support that you get in that um, in that country is unbelievable. And I can only imagine what, what it felt for those Fijian draw boys to be able to play in front of their home people and being able to put on you know performance. I look at that first half as probably you know that's probably the way that they want to play, and it's been able we've talked around their balance and being able to get their discipline right. But you know that first half, if they can continue to, to keep playing like that for long periods of time, you know 60, 70 minutes of matches. Um, then they're going to probably see whether they're going to start getting results and winning those games where you know they're not um, losing by three points. But um, overall, what a great what a great occasion, and um, you know hopefully the Fijian draw can be buoyed by that and start playing that kind of footy uh, more consistently for longer periods of, of matches. Thank you very much, Ben. All the best for the rest of the week before your game against the Force and the, and the big comeback. I'm sure that the Force will feel the wrath. Just really just before you go, Bryn, what's the inspiration uh, with the facial hair? Is it Pirates of the Caribbean or? What are we going for? <laughs> yeah, um, no, I got given um, the Pete Samu. So when Pete Samu oh, was actually yes. in our team, um, this, is, this is the Pete Samu. So you get your moustache, you got a bit of bum fluff um, just under your lip, and then um, a bit of a bit of stubble at the bottom. So it was very a much Pete the Pete Samu. Outstanding. <laughs> yeah, so um, through our old mate Pete Samu. So not as bad as Tom Christie. He had a terrible one. He looked, um, yeah, the meat chops and Ollie Jagger with the. Uh, <laughs> With the old goatee, with a bit of with a girth on it as well, so it was good. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah, it looks great. It looks absolutely great. Go well, mate. Catch you soon. Cheers, boys. Thanks, boys. <laughs> Let's move on to your team, the Blues. Um, obviously, I think Bryn mentioned earlier they defended 26 phases to finally get that win over the over the line against the Force towards the end. They had over 100 tackles more than the opposition in that game. Very good to show your heart, very good to show you can get across the line, but completely unsustainable in the long term. Yeah, and I think Leon's, Leon acknowledged that straight away after the game. You know, you can't expect your skipper to make 29 tackles every week. Um, but it is a tough place to play, and, and the force do get up over there, so I don't think it's a usual um, occurrence. But I, I think probably Leon's frustration is there's been a number of games where they've started really well, and they just haven't quite put teams away. I know when I was in the team with them, you know, if we got off to a lead at half time and then we sort of did something similar, still got the win, but, you know, wasn't convincing, he'd be like, what, why wouldn't we? Why can't we just put the foot down and, and put teams away? So he, he'll definitely be pushing that. And, and a lot of it comes off the back, I believe, of this, um, you know, the skill accuracy because it's, it's the turnovers. I think they had 13 handling turnovers with 38% of the ball. So that's quite a lot of times and it's just not enabling them to kick on their terms or get themselves out of their zone on their terms and yes they're defending very well we've seen it against the Crusaders we've seen it um, in a, you know obviously it's a force and a number of other times but as you say when bodies are, are wearing um, thin towards the latter end they'll want to be a little bit more uh, clinical than they have on the flip side of that where I think it will change for them is um, you know Leon alluded to the fact that he feels like now um, a lot of the All Blacks have um, been accounted for in their load management, so he can, he's got the the ability to pick a solid 23, and he'll he'll be looking to get that cohesive nature going towards them, especially on attack because their defence is great, but too often on attack they're giving the ball back. So he'll he'll be looking at you know making sure the lads are deeper. You know, Bryn alluded to it in terms of that line speed pressure the Aussie teams are bringing. They're, they're really trying to do that. So Kiwi teams will make adjustments, and and hopefully you'll see you know that complete 80 minute performance this Friday night for them. You do have to give a big plug to Leon McDonald, don't you? Because over the last few years, he's developed a squad with a great amount of depth. Um, and, and sometimes it's been pulling a guy like Luke Romano. Other times it's a newbie like Segner who's come in and, and immediately made an impact in, in the team. 
they've created a squad that can win Super Rugby. Yeah, look, and I think Leon wouldn't take it all on his shoulders. I think there's a lot of people in that building doing a lot of work to probably make it appealing for players to come to. Uh, a, a place where, you know, probably Sam Derry was the first one that, that sort of went against the grain and, you know, Signa's come up and, you know, Luke Romano's come up and, and it's all for opportunity, isn't it? And, the, and they're all getting good minutes. I think they've all got enough of those minutes stockpiled now mm. that he's going to really look to go to his, his, his sharp 23 that he'll rely on going through to the final, hopefully. Mm. And it's very Crusader-like, the way that they they do it you know Leon's obviously knows a lot about that and he's applied it in a very good way oh yeah it's definitely crusader like but I think we all know like I think we've spoken about for the last three years or four years within this podcast is it's next man up and the crusaders have done it so well for so long you know if, if Richie wasn't there Mitch Hunt came in and slots a match-winning drop goal from you know the bottom of the earth like where it shouldn't go over but you know it does and and there's a number of other um, examples um, now they've they've now they've got that squad depth, but you know players have actually got good minutes under their belt. There's a difference sometimes. You know, there's good squad depth on paper, but players haven't always got those minutes. But they've certainly got it this year, and, and they've rotated their squad really well. And they've added Roger Tuivasa Shek. We saw on the weekend what he's capable of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his his footwork close to the line and his ability offload and contact. Um, and what we're seeing is players are, um, I suppose, getting used to him and they're understanding where the opportunities will present themselves and, and little flick outs the back if, if you stay engaged you still want to be in a position where you can clean you don't want to just be a one-trick pony and hope he gives that miracle pass because sometimes you'll go to ground and you wouldn't want to be turned over there but there, there was a lot of, there was a lot to like about his game not only on attack I think defensively as well he's getting a lot lot more confident and um, you know I'm looking forward to that um, you know that Barrett um, RTS and, and Reeks combination again uh, forming up hopefully hopefully this week or whenever it comes back. It's, it's hard. I was having a conversation at a, uh, a 60th birthday party I went to on Saturday night about that combination, 10, 12, 13, and how with time together and we think towards the next World Cup, you'd be mad not to think that that is the most dangerous 10, 12, 13 combination in the world as far as attacking rugby is concerned because that would be nuts. Yeah, and I think defensively as well. I think, you know, Reeks and Rogers and Bowden's speed to shut down time and space and, and give, you know, teams only one opportunity or two opportunity. It's either to, you know, do a crossfield kick, which most teams um, have systems in place to cover, or get up in the face and, and get a dominant tackle and hit them behind the gain line. So... I don't think it's just attack for these guys. I think they're getting better and better in terms of the defensive aspects of their game as well. Is that the best you've seen from Rogers so far? Definitely, yeah. I, look, I was really impressed in that Hurricanes game, that first one. I, I was sort of taken aback. I didn't think he'd take to rugby as, as um, you know, as quickly as that. But he's clearly a student of the game. Um, but I think in terms of the travel, the, uh, the, the atmosphere and environment that they're playing in, um, he, he really stood up when they needed him. So do you think Ian Foster will throw him, oh, it might not be the deep end now, but do you think he'll throw him in the deep end as a 12 in Test Rugby? I think he's got the skill set to be able to handle it. He's got enough runs on the boards in, in, in Rugby League. Um, he probably doesn't in Rugby, but I think, you know, if, if they can get off to a 2-0 series victory, you know, it wouldn't be foreign to put him in the 12, or they may start with it. Like, like I don't think he's going to look out of place. Um, and, and, and you know that he is going to have his due diligence down pat to, to mm. perform and deliver because he'll know uh, everyone will be watching him. Yeah. Um, now, Moana Pacific is uh, the other team out of New Zealand that didn't quite get there on the weekend uh, against the Rebels. 26-22, they went down. 
have they sort of blown a chance there really? Well they had a lot of ball and they had a lot of territory and they just didn't quite get across the line and maybe you'd look at Lincoln McClutchy uh, towards the end there if, you know if you changed hands and got that try it might have given them enough um, time to, to steal, a, steal a win but you, you have to commend the Rebels. I thought it was the first time I've really seen sort of Callaway and Hodge come to life this season and, and, and they had a great game um, but uh, it's probably similar um, is that, that skill execution uh, for Moana Pacifica. They, they had a lot of opportunities, but they just couldn't finish. Um, and that's been the case on a number of occasions, even when that midweek game against the Blues, you know, they had them right on the ropes, but they just couldn't get across the line. Similar here against the Rebels. Now, their CEO suggested that it would only be fair for their postponed match against the Force to have added in a forfeit. Do you think that that's on the money? Um, I'm not too sure. They'll, they'll, there's a due process they'll have to go through, um, but you can sort of understand why um, you know, they're a little bit frustrated because you know, a lot of their games have had to be rescheduled, not by choice, it's just unfortunately by chance. So um, ho hopefully they work their way through it and, and it gets to a position that one, they feel comfortable to play the game and, and two, um, there is the opportunity to play it. And if not, if there's no space, then um, so be it. And, and in this COVID world, I think everyone will understand that. It seems quite unlikely that they'll make the top eight this year, obviously. Um, how do you see this far into the competition, 11 rounds in, what does your top eight look like? It's a good question because you, you look at the Rebels there at eight. They're on 15, the Highlanders are on 13. Um, if the Highlanders can just hit some form, they can potentially slip in there. Um, whereas teams, you know, it's, it's going to be between, I feel, that, that, that Rebels and potentially Highlanders and Minor Pacifica, if they can get off to a... Uh, a hot start and, and if there isn't a forfeit that game might come crucial that force game for them to slip into that eight and, and no doubt they'll be looking at that but it's where the Rebels can score their points um, and, and likewise for the Highlanders and MP. You pick up the four points you don't start talking about forfeits. No, 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 no. <laughs> Take well, it all especially, back. <laughs> especially if um, you know it gives them a lick at a first final that would be a huge that would just be massive mm. um, for them and, and their organisation you know starting out this fresh. So the Blues very much at the top for you? Uh, definitely at this stage, yeah, but um, I, I think the reason why they're at the top for me is they haven't delivered an 80-minute performance, so mm. when they do do that and they have the ability to keep selection consistent over a number of weeks, I think you're only going to get the better version of them and, and, a, and I suppose a more battle-hardened version going into what, what is crucial players. But I think what we've seen is if you're off a little bit, you know, Bryn just mentioned it, just, you know, 5 or 10% or even 1 or 2%, this competition is so close now that it, it can go either way and, and catching up isn't as easy as it once was. Mm, mm, absolutely. Why don't we have a look now at our Super Rugby Dream Teams. If you've been keeping up with the Super Rugby Dream Team throughout the season on rugbypass.com, you go in, you select your team of the week based on form and if it's closest to the team picked by everybody combined, you will get a subscription to Rugby Pass. This week's winner is George McLeod. If you're the best over the length of the season, you get to come on here with us. What does your dream team look like for this week? Well, I tell you what, it's um, very Aussie heavy, uh, if I'm honest. Um, so I've got Scott Sear at one. Um, he, he's just been phenomenal the last two weeks. Uh, in his ball carry, his footwork, his gain line, he's, he just looks like an explosive beast again. He, he's keeping um, you know, Slipper on the bench, so uh, yeah, he, he's going great guns. Uh, Samasoni Takiaho, I just think he is going from strength to strength as well, and he was a key part 
of the Chiefs getting over um, in that game. Angus Tarville, I think, you know, again, I've mentioned him the last few weeks, but it, it's his core roles that he's nailing at the moment, and, and we know that he's one of the best props in the world around the field in terms of his engine. Jed Holloway and Tupo Vai, I've kept in the second row. I just didn't feel like anyone surpassed them. Rob Valentini at six, obviously. Darren Alangi, I put at um, seven, the, the skip from the draw. He normally plays six, but they moved him to seven, and he was just as good. Uh, I put Mikieli Tu. I thought he had a great game at eight um, and, and really sort of led the charge of, of toughness for that pack to come back. Um, Lamani and Nick White, like I couldn't split them. I felt like Lamani was massive, but probably Nick White on a whole, in terms of game management, he, he probably slips into the nine. Um, Edmund, the, the 10 from the Tars, you saw what it meant to him. He was debuting the week before at um, uh, Super Round, and mm. you know he, he stands up and you know, walks a team to victory out of the Crusaders. That's massive for a young man's confidence. Um, Daryl Peach, uh, the left winger from, from the Tars as well. Uh, I've got Roger Tuivasa-Shek at 12. I've got Osaya Parisi at, mm. at 13. Um, he had some nice touches and finally seeing what we, uh, you know, probably expect of him. Uh, Tom Wright in the 14. Um, and Alex Newsom at 15. All right. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed Parisi's uh, little flick and yeah. how, how similar it was to Roger Tuivasa-Shek. And the same position with the defenders, the same moves made and the same result. It was it was quite spectacular the way he summed it up. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, he, he put himself in, in the game this week. You know, mm. I've sort of been hanging out for him. Like, I'm a big fan of his play. But he is a better player when Fakiti's there. Yeah. When, when, when Fakiti's at, at 12, he seems to, it's like they know each other so well and it brings the best out of Fakiri, but man, it really sets um, Isaira light as well. It creates some room for him to move. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It must be, I don't know, he's, he's got great um, ball control, Fakiri, and he's got good feet, so defences seem to jam on a little bit, and mm. Parisi's patient, and he's got good depth to allow him to take advantage of that. Now, in the last few weeks, we've started a new segment called Rethinking Rugby. We've looked at a couple of things. Uh, first week, we looked at names on the back of jerseys in order to try to improve the marketing. The second week was a little bit of a, a more left-field one about moving the goalposts back behind the field to where the NFL posts are. We gave that one the poo-poo. But what we really want is you to continue to put in your suggestions into the comments on social media, on the YouTube comments, giving us ideas of things that you think could help change the game of rugby to be everything that it could be. This week's one is a really interesting one, and I think you really will enjoy this one. Would you support a rule change that would outlaw teams from taking a scrum or kicking for touch from penalties to make the game quicker? No, I think you've got a, a penalty, you should have the right to control your own destiny, but potentially if a scrum collapses and it goes to a free kick, maybe you can't go back to a scrum. So you've got a quick tap and go, mm. um, or put an up and under up or something like that, because so often we see the free kick and then we go back to the scrum and, and another free kick to a long arm. So potentially something like that I can understand, but if there's a penalty infringement, I think a team should have the right to control their own destiny. From my point of view, so many of the best players come off set-piece attack, and to be able to maximise that, you need to have the ability to kick into the corner for a line-out, or, you know, and obviously that's where a lot of tries are coming from now, and from set plays on scrums in the middle of the field, we've seen a number of tries come from that. It, it, I think it's a, it's a nice idea, but really to tap and go won't necessarily make the game much quicker. It'll just run into another brick wall in some ways. Yes, yes and no. Um, 
But you know, I know why people are probably saying it is because of the, how many more tries there are. But let's not forget it was only a year ago that all the tries were coming off special plays off line out and there were hardly any mm. driving more tries. And it, it'll go full circle again because teams will put focus into their line out more defence, which then creates opportunities for teams to go elsewhere. So I don't think it's, you know, we don't need to think the game's changed forever. Uh, players always try and find a way to sort things out as will coaches. Um, but I do think if a scrum collapses and your mindset on a free kicks, you know, they can tap from wherever, you know, not so much about the mark, you can still go through those strike plays and it will be, you know, defences will have to be on their toes and it will create opportunities to play at a faster pace. So that's a no? It's a no to that, but a variation of it, I think there, there is a place for. Mm, that sounds like a bit of fun. Now, combined with that, let's talk about something else Rassi Erasmus has said in the last week. He feels like there should be a scrum referee. Um, now, what do you make of the idea of that? Obviously, more eyeballs should lead to a better decision, but is it the right way to go? It's, it'll be, I just think it'll be challenging because how do you see the other side? And even if you put a, a one on both sides and a scrum's right in that um, right-hand corner, it doesn't matter where you stand, you're only going to see you know, the tight end loose head on that side. You're not going to be able to see what's happening on that side and, and you'd need binoculars from the other side to be able to make a uh, decent enough call. I can, I can see where he's probably angling for us to take some pressure off referees, mm. um, but I, I think it would make it all too messy. How does it get communicated? Um, I noticed he also said that they could be mic'd up and, and connected to the commentary box, which that wouldn't be bad from an um, educational point of view for viewers, but maybe they don't have the authority on the game as an official, but they can be talking through um, what they're seeing maybe in live format as scrum specialists. Yeah, I, I'd think if, if it was yourself or Kane Hames or you know the, the front row analysts that we've got revolving in New Zealand rugby at the moment, it could be very educational to everybody. Yeah, yeah, you'd think so. Um, but it, it, that's what I'm saying. Like, you'd, If you're going to put yourself in that position as someone that is a so-called expert, you're going to want to be able to see every angle so that you're mm. actually giving correct information. You don't want to be guessing as well from, from a position or advantage point that isn't you know, quite um, conducive to your job. Yeah, and it could slow the game down because we'll end up going upstairs and looking at multiple angles for all sorts of things when a ref could have just gone in his gut and blown it up and carried on. Yeah, and I mean, if we go full circle and it's one collapse and you go to a free kick, then you know, we're not having to worry too much about it. And I'm sure there'll be you know, innovations um, come in, in time because you know, we, we want the best spectacle for the fan. You know, everyone talks about fan-centric and I think everyone's on the same page. Uh, we've just got to get to a position where it's, it's consistent across the globe. Let's have a look at the weekend ahead. Uh, we've got the Blues versus the Rebels kick-starting us this weekend. That seems like it's a one-way show, doesn't it? Yeah, you'd hope the Blues will, will do the job at home. Um, and, and certainly, based on their coach's comments, he's not overly impressed with what, what he saw. But one thing I am excited about, I hope Akira Yuani gets another run. He, he was really solid on his first outing, and, and he'll only be better for it. So, um, you know, look out for him back at home. Yeah, nice and fresh from Akira too, because there was a long time, were a couple of seasons where he was playing every game and every minute of every game, and for him to have a bit of a break probably has helped him out. Yeah, but he's trained the house down. By all mm. accounts, he has absolutely dedicated himself to coming back and being able to fire from the get-go and you know push his case for All Blacks. So he started really well on the weekend with that. He looks in great shape. He, he, he certainly is. Like career best shape. Nice little haircut too. Yeah. He's <laughs> it's got a little shorter this time yeah. around. Uh, the Reds versus the Highlanders is another one of these games that could go either way. 
Yeah, but look, that iconic fact is um, huge for me, but you know, you'd, you'd have to think the Reds at home are, are, are a hot chance and they'll go on as favourites. Moving on to Saturday, uh, Moana Pacifica at home against the Waratahs. This is a test of the Waratahs on this the move. Will be. That will be a big test to see if they can back up after you know a pretty emotional weekend. That would have been quite a high. Now they've got to reshape and focus, and, and Moana Pacifica will be um, you know smarting probably at one that got away back at home. Uh, but I, I think the Tars should get the job done. Mm. Chiefs versus the Brumbies, we mentioned it earlier. Game of the round. 100%. Um, but I'm going to back the Chiefs. I, I know people, most people will be going for the Brumbies, but you know, after the last game they had there, I think it was the 25-0 um, to the Blues, and, and what Sam Kane sort of said afterwards, what that you know, did for them in terms of what, how they pride themselves in performing at home in front of their people, I think it, they'll bring the best out of themselves, and they won't want to, won't want to drop two at home. No. Or three at home, because they obviously dropped one against the, the Crusaders as well. On the flip side, the Brumbies will be buoyed by the fact there have been a number of teams that have gone to Hamilton and picked up wins when no one saw it coming. Yeah, and they've been successful uh, when they've come over to Hamilton as well. So mm. that, they've got no demons there, and they're in a, you know, a rich vein of form. Um, and there's a couple of niggles in the Chiefs, but I don't know, my gut just says the Chiefs, are, as we know, have been a sort of a cheer, <laughs> cheerleader for them from the get-go, so I'll stick with them. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, force at home against the Crusaders. Now, in years gone by, the Crusaders would come back from Africa, and often Perth was a place where they tripped up. Mm. Now, it's not the same now, is it? You know, it, it, it isn't as big a trip, although it is a, a decent-sized trip from Sydney through to Perth. Will the Crusaders bounce back? I think so. I, I, think, I think they have to probably for themselves. Um, and, you know, listening to Bryn, though, that he's clearly got a sharper focus, so does everyone else. And um, there were sort of three key guys that, that didn't play the other week that will be able to bring some energy um, and, and, and excitement and, and garner a bit of belief, I think, and, and it'll get the job done. And tough, I think that Blues game would have taken a lot out of the force. That's the, to let that slip and the amount of effort and energy went into that attack and cleaning rucks and getting back up, um, you know, may, may take its toll. Now, Goldie said that he wasn't too worried about what the Crusaders did. This is on the breakdown. Jeff Wilson said that he wasn't too worried because Moonga wasn't there. But the fact of the matter is that you need to be able to win without your number one playmaker in Super Rugby. And they've shown that a number of times over the years. I mentioned Mitch Hutton for Fergus Burke earlier in the year. Um, and they certainly won't be putting it down to one man. Um, it would have been interesting to get you know, Bryn's take on that. But... Um, as, as we know, like rugby, I, I, as when teams do well, I wax lyrical about the forward pack. And I think it, you know, it starts and finishes up front and, and they'll bring some serious steel in it. And you've got Blackadder that just hits anything that moves, leading the charge back fresh, ready to go. Um, I, think, I think it might be a mountain too high for the force. Hurricanes versus the draw, the Sunday game, Sunday afternoon. Hurricanes. Yep. Yeah. I, look, I think I've, I've seen a lot from the Hurricanes. I think they're... The, the, you know, they're a bit hard done by in, in how um, people, you know, probably discuss. You know, if they get that one against the Crusaders, they've, they've fought themselves um, into form. And I still think there were parts and passages of their play on the weekend that were exceptional. Uh, and, and the Drew will come out firing. And, and I suppose I spoke about the impact off the bench um, in Canberra. Maybe they'll be looking for a little bit more out of that and some guys maybe coming back from injury. Mm. So it is another good weekend of action. It's, it's another weekend, or maybe the first weekend that we've spoken about in a few years, where you're going into it going, 
okay, a lot of these games could go either way. Yeah, yeah it is, it is. And like, you sort of almost felt that last weekend, but now because there has been a few results, mm. it's like confirmed thought. Um, but uh, like competitive beats both sides of the Tasman, it, it, it will be you know, a big job to, to go again. Um, and, and I think it'll be a true measure of, of the, where the Aussie sides are at and where we're at in terms of our ability to sort of break our duck in terms of the amount of turnovers we're, we're conceding in attack. So it should be another cracker of a weekend this weekend. We'll see what happens, particularly looking forward to that Chiefs-Brumbies game on Sky yeah. Sport. Thank you again, Jipper, uh, for another great day of analysis. And we can catch you again next week on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Don't forget to catch all of the action on Sky Sport, all the analysis on rugbypass.com. Matewa. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.